This program is made possible by members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Blacking It Up, The Young Turks, The Progressive, The Jimmy Dore Show, On the Media, The Matthew Filipovich Show, President Obama, and The Majority Report. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode contains 911 call recordings of a 17-year-old boy being shot and killed. Nothing funny about that. This next story broke my heart. Actually, I read it while we were away. If, if, if it's a story I think you're talking about, I, did, I didn't actually get to read it, but it was sent to me on every platform known to man because everyone was like, hey, please cover this, please, please, please cover this, please cover this. Is this about the uh, shooting and killing of a teenage boy, Tray, uh, Trayvon Martin? Correct. My mama contacted me about this. Like, and yeah. my my mother never calls me about something because she's like, you, that she feels like it needs to be covered. Like, my my, my mm-hmm. mom, it, I, it was literally the first time she was ever. She's like, she's like, baby, have you heard about? Have you heard about? Uh, his name is Trayvon. Like, she starts to go right. into the whole thing mm-hmm. because she's like, please, this need this needs to be yelled out. So right. please break it down. Yeah. So and and I'm I'm saying his name because I want to humanize who he you know who he was uh Trayvon Martin um a teenager he's visiting um his father staying with his father um and was asked to go to the store uh, for his younger brother goes to the store um to get skittles um and things for his little brother um but on his way back he was shot and killed in a gated community you know, this wasn't in, you know, a a, a bad neighborhood. This wasn't a stray bullet and none of this. He was directly uh, shot in the chest uh, by the block, the, the watch captain of the neighborhood, George Zimmerman, a 26 year old college student who admitted to the police that he shot the young man. He's a college student. Okay. Okay. See, a like 26 I said, year old I was, college catch, student. I was only catching bits and pieces of, the, of, of this via uh, social media. I assumed it was some old, old 60 something no. uh, white guy no. who was just scared of a young Negro in a room no. and no. freaked out. And I, I thought that was terrible, but some 26 year old college student. Really? Yes. Um, and he, Elon has still not been arrested and charged at this time. They need to put him in space prison. I don't understand. How is he allowed to walk around? There's no reason. The, isn't the point of neighborhood watches so that you, what you're supposed to do with neighborhood watches is that you tell the cops where to coordinate to get someone. You're not supposed to have a gun. You're not supposed to be shooting at people. You're supposed to look at people and tell the cops where to go. That's the point of neighborhood watch. All neighborhood watches everywhere. And I mean, the protocol all, is, sir, do not engage. That's from you know, all from all reports uh, that that's gotten back to me is that it was he, he was told not to engage. Mm-hmm. Do not get police are on their way. Do not engage. That's the point of neighborhood watch. You're just following the person. You're supposed to follow the person and tell the cops here, this street, now this street, now this street. That's the point of neighborhood watch. No, that guy's been watching too much TV. He thought he yeah. thought he was gangster, and he was in his car. He was like, "Yo, there's some random guy. I, I got this." And, there, and so, if he was in his car, one, there was no immediate danger. So he can't. I don't understand where there would be a self defense thing. If you are in your car and you've called nine one one, an operator and police told you not to engage. There is no immediate danger. For you to even claim, you know, self-defense. But apparently some altercation um, happened, although I can't see if he was supposed to stay in his car and not engage, why that would um, happen. By the time the police got there, uh, Trayvon was found face down um, in a patch of grass uh, 70 feet from his house with a bag of Skittles and an iced tea in his pocket. 
You know, because, I mean, that sounds like a really dangerous kid. Sunday to God's day, a day of rest. The NBA All-Stars are playing next. But right outside that same city, the celebratory atmosphere would change quickly. Who watching the game with me? You know, Lil' Trayvon was repping his hometown, D-Wade and LeBron. He had just came up from Miami to see a daddy who knew such a great weekend with him. Badly in a place where you move because it's safe for your family. But some people got an ingrown hate for your family. Halftime, just a short break from the slam. About to go to the store, no thugs. You want some candy? Bad, I'll grab you some Skittles, kid. I'll be right back in a little bit. I said I'll grab you some Skittles, kid. I'll probably be right back in a little bit. We have some updates on the Trayvon Martin story. And, you know, yesterday when we covered this story, we were very, very suspicious and skeptical of the police department investigating the case because it didn't seem like they were alarmed by the fact that a 17-year-old boy who weighs 140 pounds was shot and killed by someone who's 26 years old or 28 years old, there are conflicting reports, uh, and was armed, okay, mm -hmm. shot in the chest. So... Um, now it turns out that more witnesses are talking to ABC News and to other media outlets, and they are confirming that they are also skeptical of the way the police have handled the situation thus far. So I'll give you some exact examples. After the shooting, a source inside the police department told ABC News that a narcotics detective, and not a homicide detective, first approached Zimmerman, the shooter. Okay, now, if you just have that, you might say, hey, you're nitpicking, so the wrong detective showed up. That isn't the main problem. The main problem is what they did when they did show up. Now, look at the assumptions when yeah. they go in. Assumption is, white guy's right, uh, who had the gun. The dead kid, who weighs 140 pounds, 17 years old, got shot in the chest, is, is wrong, okay? So now, here comes a really bad part. The detective peppered Zimmerman with questions rather than allow Zimmerman to tell his story. Questions can lead a witness, the source said. And this is someone within the police department saying, hey, you know what, like, maybe you might want to answer this way, like, that might help your self-defense case. Now, we're not saying that they went that far, but it's not the right way to approach it. And again, you might be thinking, well, well you don't know that it was just an honest mistake or they did it on purpose to help them, right? Well, the last piece of the puzzle, I think, helps solve that. Another officer corrected a witness after she told him she heard the teen cry for help. The officer told the witness, a longtime teacher, it was Zimmerman who cried for help said the witness. That's it, there it is. And to me, that was exactly indicative of what's wrong with the police in this entire investigation. They come in, they're like, okay, the white guy who shot the poor kid, well, he must be, uh, to have a squeaky clean record. Uh, and who cried for help? Oh, the witness is telling me the kid cried for help before he got shot. Because the whole, Zimmerman's whole defense is, he was, I was under attack. Now, he's the one that called 911. 911 told him, do not pursue him. And by, by the way, we don't even know if he's suspicious. Zimmerman made up that he was suspicious. Turns out, of course, he wasn't suspicious. The only reason Zimmerman thought that apparently is because he's black, right? He wasn't armed, he had Skittles in his pocket, nothing wrong. He was going to his dad's place in the gated community. So now the cop comes and tells the witness, no, no, no. No, no, you didn't hear the kid ask for help. You heard Zimmerman ask for help. No, end of this, that's it. No, the cops, at least some of them in this investigation, and I don't care if people are, aren't willing to say it. My job is to say the obvious. They're racist. If it was the role reversals we've said all along, you think, I mean, I'm going to look at all this stuff. If a black teenager had shot a 28-year-old white guy, you think the cop comes in, his automatic assumption is, uh, uh, teenager is uh, squeaky clean, and, and it must have been 
him that was crying for help rather than the white guy who's got the bullet hole in his chest. No way they make that assumption. No way they lead the witnesses in that way. Come on, bounds of reason. And this is way, way outside the bounds of reason. Now, the state has taken over the case. They have. I think that we should also call for a federal investigation. You remember the Rodney King uh, cops eventually went to a federal uh, investigation because civil rights are involved. Civil rights here are involved as well because apparently the local police have very questionable racial motivations. Mm -hmm. So uh, whether it's the state or the federal level, we've got to have some degree of justice here. It's been two and a half weeks. They still haven't charged Zimmerman. I know. It's outrageous. They have not released any evidence uh, leading to self-defense. In fact, the police chief has said over and over again, not that he has evidence of self-defense earlier, he said, we just don't have any evidence to say that it's not self-defense. And by the way, when black people shoot white people in this country, the cops always assume that they're innocent and say, well, we don't have any evidence that it wasn't self-defense, so probably the black guy was right in shooting the white guy and killing him. That's always what happens in this country, right? That's always the assumption. So many incredibly questionable assumptions by the cops here, at the very least. Zimmerman is nearly 240 pounds, okay? Yes. Now, I, I know I'm slightly obsessed about the weight topic, but because I'm near that weight. And so I have a perspective on this. If a 17-year-old kid that weighs 140 pounds comes up to me, it is inconceivable that kid is a threat. In-frickin-conceivable. Unless he's the most amazing jujitsu master of all time, okay? All you gotta do is push him down, right? You have a hundred pound advantage on him. This bitch Zimmerman, okay, sees the, uh, the black kid and thinks, oh my God, oh my God, I, I know it, he's a danger, calls 911, pursues him. And the kid says, hey, from what we can tell, from what we know, the witnesses and what the cops have said, the kid says, why are you following me? He's freaked out by this weirdo following him, right? right. He's inside a gated community. He's going to his dad's house. Why is this weirdo following him? Zimmerman then starts a conflict. One of the witnesses apparently hears the kid cry for help. How could, you, how could Zimmerman possibly have been in enough danger to merit pulling out his gun and shooting the kid in the chest? It sounds like a male. And you don't know why? I don't know why. I think they're yelling help, but I don't know. Does he look hurt? Alright, what is your gunshot? Um, I'm pretty sure the guy's dead out here. Oh my god. The reality is not only did I lose a son, I lost a dear friend. I know this was not self-defense. There was no punching, no hitting going on at the time, no wrestling. I'm hoping that one day, one day. He's going to walk through the door, and this is going to be a nightmare. I assumed he was going to be arrested. Common sense will tell you. And he wasn't. The case of Trayvon... There's something terribly rotten down in Sanford, Florida. That's where 17-year-old Trayvon Martin was shot dead in the street, allegedly by a neighborhood watch captain, George Zimmerman. Martin was unarmed, and Zimmerman appeared to be suspicious of Martin because he was black. It's an outrage that Trayvon Martin is dead today, and it's an even bigger outrage that Zimmerman hasn't been arrested even though the incident occurred on February 26th. You can bet a million dollars that if the roles were reversed, that if Trayvon Martin had shot a white neighborhood watch captain, then Trayvon Martin would be behind bars right now. But when a white man shoots a black man dead in Sanford, Florida, even in the year 2012, 
the white man still walks free. This is a haunting throwback to the era of lynchings in the South. It looks like something from a 100 years ago, but it's not. It's happening now in Sanford, Florida, where there appears to be no justice. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Everybody has their choices to make. One right and one wrong, either you do or you don't. Two warring nations, can't they both coexist? To live and let live, nobody wants to give in. Still you fight for first position, you scream. But no one listens, refuse to play the victim. You don't care who gets hurt. Each day brings brand new questions, who Subjective, your searching for the answers that you need to know. So he's on the phone with his girlfriend, by the way. Yeah. So he's a 17 year old kid. He calls his girlfriend and says that this guy is staring at him is, and making him yeah, this, scared. This guy, he goes, This guy's starting to follow me. And she says, Well, just run home. He goes, I'm not going to run. I'm going to walk really fast. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing the girl hears is uh, him saying, What you. Uh, him having an altercation with this guy Zimmerman, mm-hmm. and then his phone goes dead. Mm-hmm. And then other people, so here, I'll play you, here, we'll play some of the, here's the 911 call that Zimmerman made, ready? Hey, we've had some break-ins in my neighborhood, and there's a real suspicious guy. This guy looks like he's up to no good, or he's on drugs or something. That's right, because he's black. Mm-hmm. And he's walking. So and he went a, to the Seven Eleven. And he went to. He looks like he's up to no yeah. good. He looks like he's up to no good. Mm-hmm. What is that? What? How does someone look? They're black. That's mm-hmm. how they look like they're up to no mm-hmm. good. Because if he was white, he would look like he's lost. Mm-hmm. Right. It's raining. He's just walking around, looking about. Okay. And this guy, is he white, black, or Hispanic? He looks black. He's got his hand in his waistband. And he's a black male. Something's wrong with him. Something's wrong with him. I can't put my finger on what's wrong with him, but I'm going to guess it's he's black. I'm going to shoot him, and then I'm going to find out. Yeah, let's shoot him. Yeah, he's coming to check me out. He's got something in his hands. I don't know what his deal is. Yeah, we got him on the way. Just let me know if this guy does anything else. Okay. They always get away. Are you following him? Yeah. Okay, we don't need you to do that. Okay, so there it is right there. Well, Zimmer- what was bleeped out? He said uh, a- these a-hole. effing a-holes mm-hmm. always get away. Okay. So we have a possible hate crime and nobody's been arrested. Possible. It seems a clear case well, of a hate crime. Yeah. Of a hate crime. And then the the cop, the cop, uh, the police chief saying we don't have. We'd have to have probable cause to believe he's he wasn't in imminent danger. And it's like, he, how about he doesn't have a gun? How about there's a dead 17-year-old kid that they put into the ground a month ago? How about those? Isn't that probable cause? And then did what did what uh, did the Zimmerman say was the reason he shot him? Did he specifically say he was reaching for something? Or I, you know what? I haven't heard. A, uh, I haven't heard a peep from Zimmerman. Uh, haven't heard. And where is TMZ on this one? Mm-hmm. Like, how, don't they have him coming and going from his car to go to work? And mm-hmm. why don't they have a camera I, in his face? Well, how can I jack off to that story? Yeah, I guess right. <laughs> Yeah, I guess because uh, Zimmerman might put a gun in their face. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. that's why. So, uh, 
I really, you know, I don't know what I, I, I decide. I don't want to make comedy. I don't know how to make comedy out of this too mm. much. I don't think we have to, except to make fun of how bad the police are handling this. Yeah. I mean, it's really horrible, and how what a horrible guy this George Zimmerman is, and what a horrible place Florida is. Uh, <laughs> here, here, a lot of nice pl- parts of Florida. I Florida will say is that. the most bizarre combination. It's <clears throat> it is it, it is just it is a bizarre combination of like backwoods, you know, uh, hillbilly hand fishing kind of people, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and then these like rich. Well, Jews who come down from New York, and then there's all these retirees, like you know, and then all the uh, the hot legs competitors, mm-hmm. and then uh, <laughs> all the Hooters waitresses. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different types of people yeah. in Florida. But 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 my point is is about their laws and things like that, and and there's a lot of. Uh, voter repression going on in, in Florida. They're really trying to prevent, and they have in the last few elections, oh, Rick Scott. prevent um, <clears throat> prevent black and poor people from voting. And, and well, making it, and making it, it hard. I mean, I know that's happening elsewhere, too, but it, it, it's it, Florida has been kind of a leader in that. And, and they have a history of crazy judicial decisions. There was mm. a woman who was raped uh, years ago, and uh, the rapist was found not guilty because this woman wasn't wearing underwear. Wow. Wow. I got it. I, Although that, I mean, this is a whole other story, but there was a state senator who this week who said women might be just saying they're, they've been raped when they come in for abortions. They just might be making, oh, yeah, they have to prove have that, to prove that, that, that it's, that they, that, that you know, because you can never believe a woman when she tells you she's been raped. Sure. You but know. you can believe a guy in a trailer park when he says he needed to shoot a black kid. Right. Uh, so th- and this guy's been doing this. He's again self-appointed. He's a 28-year-old guy. A history of violence, by history the way. Of- he has a record. Wa- he said he didn't have a record. Wants to be a cop. He uh, and it didn't take long when he moved into his new Florida home. Didn't take him long. Uh, in 2003, he gave chase when he saw a man steal a television from a supermarket following the shoplifter until police could catch up. Zimmerman followed another man a year later, saying the man had spit on him. Zimmerman records become spottier over the following years as he has a handful of run-ins with the law. In July of 2005, he was arrested after the tussle with the law enforcement outside a bar near the University of Central Florida. It was his first offense, and Zimmerman got off with pre-trial diversion program. So this is the guy who's allowed to carry a gun. And who we're believing. And who, who they're believing. Mm. In August of the same year, a petition for injunction was filed against Zimmerman by a woman who cited domestic violence. And Zimmerman, Zimmerman responded with his own petition. And both injunctions were issued. Would you, did you know that the uh, the Justice Department is getting involved now? Oh, that, yeah. it's about they should have immediately. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And shame on, shame on that police department in Florida. Civil rights leaders call for Florida police chief to Residents protest against the Sanford Police Department. Play it to arrest a man accused of killing 17 year old Tavon Martin. Police say Martin was unarmed when he was shot by George Zimmerman. Yeah. Uh, damn. He was only 17, man. Why they ain't arrest that in George Zimmerman? He was unarmed. No type of actions to kill a man. Racial profile and all he did was look at his skin. Here we go again. For police they couldn't arrest that man because he shot himself the fence town. And the father's letter didn't help. The father's letter didn't help. His father's letter in saying that his son, you know, I understand from from his father's perspective, if he feels that his son isn't racist and he's trying to protect his son from being mischaracterized in the press of not being racist. But then, you know, doing a description and a litany of black people that he knows 
um, or saying I ran into some black kids and asked them how they know my son and he says they mentor him. You know, like that doesn't help. No. It doesn't help. You can't justify, you don't justify being, uh, uh, have, being prejudiced or, or by I know black people. Because you can know black people and still be afraid. You, you just, just I, I love the idea that like I have black friends. It's like so what? Yeah, I remember my mom had black friends. Uh, like I said, I always think about the story when my mom was told uh, by her by her good friend at the time, like when uh, when she saw a good friend marching against the school that had black people in the school. Then marching niggas got to go, and when she confronted her friend about it, she was like, "Oh, I'm not talking about you. You're fine. I'm not talking about you." So yeah, you can have you can have black friends. And still be terrified of black people. So that's never an argument. That's never an argument to make. Never, 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 never minority drop to so, me when we're in the middle of this. So here's some, um, just in terms of what people I think should do, you know, in addition to us continue to talk about it, and we'll continue to talk about it on the show to continue to um, not let it go away. Um, um, there's, you know, options of, I, I think um, the Trayvon, uh, the family has a legal defense fund because they're going to have, there's going to be legal fees in terms of trying to pursue mm-hmm. this. Um, because even if the state doesn't, um, uh, go for it. I, I imagine that they could sue, you know, against his uh, civil rights or, you know, wrongful death. You know, there's uh, other probably legal options that they can do. Right. Um, and so there will be that. Um, there is calling the state attorney and the Justice Department um, because the federal government can intervene um, possibly in, in, in on uh, the family's behalf or if the, the state attorney is not pursuing in this. I mean, I still believe at some point, and I guess this is just my naive hope that the reason why the um, they turned it over to the state's attorney so quickly is because of all of the allegations they've had in the past, and with this case, that they just wanted to turn it over and let it be, ha- you know, handled objectively. Um, at least that's what the only way I can think of is sort of why they, t- you know, turned it over and didn't mm-hmm. pursue it themselves. Um, and so there's an option of that. I've seen on Twitter and seen in other news things or whatever people are doing, like this mobilization to send Skittles to the chief off to the police department and things like that. I don't. I, that's, I, that's a bit too snarky for my liking. At this I, point. I, yeah, I, I don't. And I mean, as someone who who peddles in snark, I I'm not. No. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying Skittles. No, yeah. I think in this aspect there should be some concrete things. You know, that, you know, continuing to raise rent, continue to talk about it and talk about the issues surrounding it and not just amongst ourselves. I think this case is a perfect opportunity to talk um, from a broader to a broader community about what uh, black mothers have to tell their blacks, you know, sort of what people have to deal with um, and the different set of rules that they have to live by. And this could be the result if we don't. I think that provides a perfect opportunity to talk about that and not only within ourselves, because we know that, you know, we talking in, you know, in this room to each other. I know that if, you know, I I tell my brothers or I will have to tell my future son to operate in a different way um, than his white counterparts or, you know, some some other folks. I don't know if everybody knows that. I don't know if my white counterparts have to do the same thing to their children. You know, and to be able to talk about that in that broader context is a perfect opportunity to do that.
So Trayvon Martin's girlfriend spoke with ABC News. She uh, is remaining anonymous. However, she wanted to talk to the press about her last conversation with Trayvon Martin. So it turns out that he actually called her as he was being chased down by Zimmerman. Uh, and here's what she had to say to ABC News. She describes it in detail. He said his man was watching him. The young woman's parents asked we not use her name and that only the attorney question her. She says suddenly Martin was cornered, asking the man. She says the line then went dead. Seconds later, Zimmerman shot Martin. I'm pretty sure the guy's dead out here. Holy so Zimmerman's uh, self-defense argument says that, uh, hey, listen, I was attacked. I had to defend myself. Uh, apparently, you know, in order to use lethal force, apparently he thought his life was in danger. Now, what his girlfriend is saying about the last moments of Trayvon Martin's life matches exactly with what all the other witnesses describe, which is that Zimmerman was chasing Trayvon Martin, not the other way around. In fact, even the police chief said, yes, we told him not to chase him, but he did chase him. Now, I get a load of this. Apparently, according to the Miami Herald, George Zimmerman's account of this story was that he got out of his car and Trayvon Martin attacked him from the back. How does that make any sense? That is the most nonsensical thing I've ever heard. It, that, does, that matches no accounts of the witnesses. That doesn't even match his own 911 call. And it doesn't match what the police chief said, but yet the police chief chose to believe Zimmerman's account anyway. It's incredible that this guy is not behind bars right now. It's amazing. He is not in custody. He's out there. He's free. It's unbelievable to me. And, you know, thankfully this case has now gone to the feds. Uh, the uh, Department of Justice will be investigating it. Uh, I definitely have more faith in them than I do uh, with the Sanford Police Department because obviously they're complete incompetent racist assholes. Who, okay, well that's one way of oh, going about it. <laughs> look, to, to argue that it was self-defense and to, uh, I mean the police chief had already made up his mind that this man was innocent. Mm -hmm. Okay, it, it was very apparent in the press conferences. He had absolutely no intention of arresting him or putting him behind bars. He basically uh, gave Zimmerman the benefit of the doubt. When in this case, a 17-year-old boy who had Skittles in his pocket was shot and killed. To give you more evidence, I mean, I believe that the cops are racist. I agree with Anna on that front, okay? Now, we don't think that out of nowhere, and we don't think it just because the white guy shot a black guy and his self-defense argument sounds ridiculous. They did not do a toxicology test on the shooter as they are supposed to do. They're supposed to find out if he's drunk, on drugs, etc. Instead, they did a toxicology test on the victim. Well, I mean, if somebody's on, who are we going to test to see if they're on drugs? Well, obviously the black kid. He's the one who got shot in the chest? Who cares? And then, for the cops to believe his self-defense argument that he got attacked from the back, when the 911 tape has him saying, I'm chasing after him, and the 911 dispatcher is saying, don't follow him. Well, how could you possibly believe that? Those things make no sense. Now, is it possible that the cops are biased for a different reason other than race? That one of them knows Zimmerman for whatever reason and wanted to fix the case to make sure Zimmerman got off? I guess that's possible. But one thing that is not possible is that they have done a fair and impartial job of investigating this murder. That is not what has happened at all. It is an indefensible case here. And so, thank God the feds have gotten involved. And by the way, we asked them to get involved. 
uh, at the beginning of last week. We were the, among the first to call the FBI and say, hey, this might be a civil rights issue. Are you guys going to get involved? And they said, we're going to have to judge on the facts of the case here. And if we think it's criminal and we think there's a civil rights violation, we will get involved. And apparently now they're at least investigating, which is a great thing. On the evening of February 26th, in a suburb of Orlando, Florida, Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old African-American, was shot and killed by a neighbor. Martin was at his stepmother's. He went to buy some Skittles during halftime of the NBA All-Star Game. Neighborhood watch leader George Zimmerman called police to report a suspicious black man. Before police arrived, Zimmerman confronted the teenager, and during a scuffle, Zimmerman shot him in the chest, killing him. Well, was it self-defense or murder in cold blood? The family of 17-year-old Trayvon Martin says it was murder, and there is new evidence that may help prove their case. Florida law establishes relatively broad latitude when it comes to killing in self-defense. In fact, self-defense does not even have to be proved. Floridians can stand their ground and shoot if they feel threatened, even in a public place. George Zimmerman was not charged or even arrested. This week, a federal investigation was launched. The police chief in Sanford County, where the killing took place, stepped down temporarily. And in New York, protesters called for justice for Trayvon. But for weeks, the story earned very little national attention. The Huffington Post's Tremaine Lee is one of the few reporters who covered the story early on after local sources in Florida called him with some compelling details. You have an unarmed teenager who, by all accounts, was an all-American boy. He had a pack of Skittles in his pocket. You have an armed neighborhood watch captain within a gated community. Everything about this, the flag started going up, and I immediately knew this was something that was going to be important to our readers. When you got there, and that was long before the story made national news, did you notice a dearth of other reporters? It was just local TV reporters mostly. There was a reporter from the Orlando Sentinel. An AP writer would show up from time to time. But even at that, I didn't see any um, wire stories coming out, really anything in depth at all. And I was pretty surprised because if there ever had been the perfect story to tell, it would be this one because even before we got to 911 tapes, the basic details were so shocking. The basic details, I would imagine, would obviously resonate, but apparently they didn't. Why do you think this didn't register immediately? I think we're still dealing with complications of race and stereotype, even within our newsrooms. And if you've ever spent any time in a newsroom, you do understand that we have that same as a garden variety killing. And unfortunately, I think just on its surface, this might have fallen into that category of just another garden variety killing. But I think once the 911 tapes were released and you hear the sobs of the neighbors, you hear the gunshot, you hear what appear to be the cries for help and the pleas, the screams of what most of us assume is the young man's scream. 
screams. I think that's the moment when it finally resonated and it was crystal clear. 911, do you need police, fire, medical? Um, maybe both. I'm not sure. There's just someone screaming outside. And is it a male or a female? It sounds like a male. And you don't know why? I can't see him. I don't want to go out there. I don't know what's going on. So you think he's yelling help? Yes. All right, what is your number? <laughs> There's That, with the pictures that we've been circulating from the family of this young, fresh-faced kid, the details of this 28-year-old man who, you know, outweighed him by 100 pounds, once we started getting those details, and that's when the media realized, like, okay, we better hop on this. And also, social media, friends by the thousands, we're sharing this with their circles, and that's kind of really where the steam picked up. It seems like it's received widespread mainstream media attention in a way that many other stories involving black men killed in questionable circumstances have not. Is it something about the media changing, or is it something about the political moment, or is it something about the peculiarities of Florida law? It's a very complicated, dynamic situation. But even when you look back to, say, uh, 2006 and 2007, we had the Sean Bell killing in New York when the cops fired dozens and dozens of shots into this vehicle, killing him just hours before he was to be uh, wed. Twitter hadn't emerged the way it has now. Facebook hadn't emerged the way it is now. Now everyone can immediately get this information out. And you couple that with the political tone of the time with this Florida laws, the stand your ground laws, which some have called the, the make my day laws or the dirty Harry laws that allows anyone to use uh, deadly force against anyone they feel is threatening them. And so it's kind of the perfect storm here. With the Huffington Post, of course, we're online. And so early on, I saw the stories were being shared by five, six, seven, eight thousand people on Facebook, thousands of comments. It was clear that part of the driving force behind this story was the ability for people to share it quickly and easily. You know, I was reading uh, the Atlantic's summary of this story and its transit into the headlines, and three of the earliest, most important people to put it there are you, the New York Times' Charles Blow, and ta Coates. We're talking about three black journalists making sure that this story becomes part of the national conversation. I just think that makes a very strong argument for diversity in the newsroom. It's kind of the other side of the coin when we see the fair-skinned, blonde-haired woman go missing and the entire media hops on it. Most of the newsrooms are full of, you know, mostly white people. And I think that it's natural. You see your niece, you see your daughter, your mother, your wife. In this case, I think none of us could deny as black men, ta and Charles Blow and myself, that you can't see a little bit of yourself in a Trayvon Martin. But what is really interesting, now you've seen people from all across the economic and racial spectrum who are hopping on this case because so much of it, though the case seems to have begun with an act of racial profiling, it ended with something so much more. Folks are saying it's a morals and ethics issue, and I think that's where we are now. Tremaine, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I definitely appreciate it.
Tremaine Lee writes for the Huffington Post. Tanahasi Coates is a senior editor at The Atlantic. He says that he read about the story for a couple of weeks before he started writing about it. It felt too sad and too familiar to cover, and he was too used to writing about similar stories that were routinely ignored by the media. Generally, this stuff just sort of goes away. And I think as someone covering it, you sometimes get subject, regrettably, to a sort of fatigue. So why did you start writing about it? One of the things that happens is that on the blog that I run for The Atlantic, they have a daily open thread. And I went in there one day and I saw that they were talking about it. And I said, actually, I posted in the thread. I said, you know, I've known about this and I've been following this and I've been reading about it. And I cannot bring myself to write about it. It's just entirely too depressing. And something about saying it <laughs> made me realize that, in fact, I had just started writing about it. And so if I was going to write about it, you know, in a comment section, I needed to come out and talk about it. And then it just kind of blew from there in a way that I really, really didn't expect. The thing to remember is for weeks, Trayvon Martin's parents were trying to get access to the 911 tapes. The chief of police was refusing to release them, not only until his report was done, but until the prosecutor's report was done. Basically, that w would have been months. Some amount of pressure did build, and those tapes were released. Zimmerman says that it's him screaming on the tapes, that he was actually screaming for help. That may well turn out to be true, but I just have to say, listening to those tapes, it sounds a lot like a child. It's just absolutely, absolutely horrifying. I was looking on the Atlantic site, and mm -hmm. they had a kind of tick-tock of how the story made its way onto the front pages of American newspapers and in the leads of TV news programs. And it seems to start with Tremaine and you and Charles Blow. You were early writing about this story. Not as early as Tremaine, no, it was especially early. I can't speak for Tremaine and I can't speak for Charles. I will tell you this. My interest in these sorts of issues date back to my time as a student at Howard University and having a friend who was killed by a police officer who had done nothing and feeling that no one would care. I will live with that for the rest of my life. These are not abstract issues for a lot of us. Some of us, I, I know myself, who have been stopped by police, have been encounters that we thought could have gone another way. When we see these cases, we see our sons, we immediately see us. It sounds like, you know, it's highfalutin or metaphorical. I don't know how I can make that any more real. It's like covering a war when you actually live in the war zone. It's a very, very real, present, horrifying possibility. Do you think that the story of the death of Trevon Martin could be the beginning of a tipping point where these stories do get the attention they deserve? Well, I think it depends on what sort of tipping point you're talking about. I think it might be a tipping point for stand your ground laws. Just this week, there was a gentleman who got off on a stand your ground law. A judge dismissed the case. He saw somebody stealing his radio from his car. He went to chase the thief, withdrew, ran. He chased the man down and stabbed him to death. He claimed the guy made a stabbing motion, so that was why he felt threatened. I think those sorts of cases will experience a lot more scrutiny in a way that they didn't before. As to the general issue that brought me to this case, how young African-American men interact with police, people claiming police powers who are in fact not police, that's going to be a long, long, long fight. You have a hugely popular blog, and you have an extraordinary relationship with your readers, and there are a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You cover the big issues of the day, mm -hmm. but you were resistant to this one. I know this is the question I started with. Right. Was it your readers, really, who 
compelled you? Was it simply in response to what they were saying? Or was there something inside you that said, you know, if not me, who? I think it's very easy to feel alone, even though you're in a crowd, even though there's everybody there. And when you see your readers talking about it before you, you realize, in fact, you are not alone. And this sounds so stupid and overwrought, but you take a kind of courage because you, you do want to be talking about things that matter. And I talk about these sorts of issues with such regularity and they just disappear. There was a gentleman, Shem Walker, who was, I'll never forget, was killed out in Brooklyn. He mistook an undercover cop who was on his uh, mother's stoop for a local tough. Him and the undercover cop got into a scuffle after he tried to evict him off his mother's stoop. And he ended up shot dead. I don't want to replay that case, but I tell you that to say, we still don't know who the cop was. All we know is that Shem Walker's dead. And this is contested by no one. And so these sorts of things happen so much that you yourself, even, and it's, it's, it's horrible to admit this, but even as the writer, you can become depressed. You can start to despair. And maybe some little voice in the back of your mind can start to say, does it even matter? Does it really matter? That's a destructive thing that I've just admitted to. But it's there, I think. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Tanahasi Coates is a senior editor for The Atlantic. So much injustice, so much pain. So much injustice, what there to gain? So much injustice, so much pain. So much pain, what there to gain? So much injustice, so much pain. So much injustice, what there to gain? So much injustice, so much pain. So much pain. Was there again? He was 17, a young fella. George Zimmerman is a cold-blooded killer. His color was the reason to solve his riddle. Getting shot, all he had was some tea and skittles. I got young sons, so it touches deep. I pray for his parents tonight when I go to sleep. Local police claim that Zimmerman claimed that 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 it was self-defense. That it was self-defense that he used when he killed this 17-year-old kid even though even though it was Zimmerman who followed who followed and eventually shot and killed Trayvon um and even though Trayvon was unarmed and all he had was skittles um skittles and, and an iced tea um it turns out in the state of Florida in 2005 then Governor Jeb Bush signed a stand your ground law. Um, so what that means is a stand your ground law in Florida. Under that law, it makes it very, very easy to claim self-defense. Um, even if you actually aren't being threatened. So say, uh, so if a 17 year old has a bag of Skittles and you have a gun and you find those Skittles threatening, you under, in Florida law, you can use deadly force against the kid with the Skittles. Uh, Mother Jones, Mother Jones magazine reports that, uh, quote, many Orlando area cops reportedly have given up investigating self-defense cases as a result of the law, referring them to the overloaded state's attorney's office for action. Also, a 2010 study by the Tampa Bay Times found that justifiable homicides have tripled, they have tripled in the state since that law went into effect. Justifiable homicides have tripled since it went into effect. Uh, Mother Jones also reports another example of how crazy uh, this Florida law actually is. It found, quote, in Tallahassee in 2008, two rival gangs engaged in a neighborhood shootout, and a 15-year-old African-American male was killed in the crossfire. 
the three defendants all either were acquitted or had their cases dismissed because the defense successfully argued that they were defending themselves under the stand your ground law. All right, look, um, obviously, everyone, obviously, if someone is in actual danger, they have a right to actually defend themselves. Obviously, obviously, if you're in danger, you have a right to, to defend yourself. Um, but again, all evidence in this case looks like the person who was in danger the entire time was Trayvon. It looks like Zimmerman was the ag aggressor in every single, every single instance. The only thing, uh, the only thing it appears, uh, every, everything that's out there right now shows the only thing that Trayvon was guilty of was, was being African American. That really is it. That really seems like that's the only thing. In fact, um, when, uh, when the stand your ground law, when it was being debated, a few years ago, uh, before it was passed, Florida State Senator Steve Geller said about the law, he said, quote, I don't think you ought to be able to kill people that are walking towards you on the street because of this subjective belief that you're worried that they may get in a fight with you, end quote. Um, and that's what happened. That's what happened, and that's what a lot of people are using this law for. Um, under this law, you know, it looks like you pretty much can kill somebody. All you have to do is claim claim self-defense. Um, and look, while there's nothing wrong with something like Neighborhood Watch, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, it's a good thing being involved in your community. It turns out, it turns out that Zimmerman wasn't actually a member of a registered Neighborhood Watch group. Um, and, and under Neighborhood Watch guidelines, the, the guidelines under other Neighborhood Watch actually say carrying a weapon is not allowed. My skin qualifies my death by a pistol. To be honest, man, predators just ain't white and black. I know when stuff like this happens, you want to hate them back. But this ain't just a race thing, man, it's a hate thing. All the people in this world should stop hating. Because when we hate each other, in our mind we kill our brothers. How many must die in vain? How many destroyed mothers? How many destroyed fathers? If your skin black, it seems the media won't bother. We've been telling you, of course, about the Trayvon Martin case. He's a 17-year-old African-American teenager who was shot by George Zimmerman, who outweighs him by over 100 pounds. Uh, Zimmerman claimed that it was self-defense, even though Trayvon Martin weighs 140 pounds, had no weapon whatsoever. And Zimmerman ch chased down Martin, as is clear in the 911 tapes, and called him a uh, racial insult in the tapes as well. Uh, and we also told you that conservatives had begun to defend Zimmerman, of course. Well, now Glenn Beck's website takes it to a new level. Uh, the Blaze writes, I believe it's this guy named Mithias Holt who wrote this, uh, several different things in defense of uh, Zimmerman and also uh, attacking Trayvon Martin, because that's a classy thing to do. Remember, he is dead, okay? Uh, so first he writes, well, under Florida law, uh, therefore Zimmerman did nothing wrong, assuming Trayvon Martin actually ag aggressed against him. Now, he says, assuming that uh, Trayvon Martin was the aggressor. Now, he's not assuming that. He's saying if that were the case under Florida law uh, that Zimmerman did nothing wrong. That's actually not true at all. Even if Trayvon Martin was the aggressor, which is a comical idea if you've heard the tapes and you heard the eyewitness testimony, well, you can't just pull out a gun and shoot someone unless you think your life is in danger. If the force has to match the force that you uh, received. He had to believe Zimmerman that, that Trayvon Martin was going to somehow kill him with his bag of Skittles uh, that he had in his pocket for that to be true. But here, of course, the assumption on the blaze is, well, of course, uh, Zimmerman is 
not guilty if Trayvon Martin was the aggressor. Now, they apparently listened to the same 911 tapes we did, and they came to the conclusion, quote, the audio weakens racism charges. How does it weaken racism <laughs> charges? Are you a moron? Are well, you a moron? They always get away fucking coons. Really? And look, you can see how that would weaken the racism charges. Someone tweeted to me today and said he didn't say fucking coons. He said fucking punk. Really? We play the really? tape over and over again. You can go back to our old video and listen to it for yourself. On the current show, we even amplified it so you can hear it better. It's nowhere near punk. Lucas was joking earlier. He's one of our producers, saying that maybe it was fucking pantaloons. <laughs> okay, that's got a better chance than punks. It's not anywhere remotely near punks. Anyway, apparently in Glenn Beck's world or in this Holt guy's world, that weakens the charges of uh, of uh, racism. Uh, number three, he says there had reportedly been suspicious activity in the neighborhood. Well, you know. But you know who what? reported it? Zimmerman. Zimmerman had called 911 46 times. Wow. And because and the neighbors had complained about him. This lunatic keeps calling things in, harassing everybody. Right. Yeah, the only suspicious activity that was going on in that neighborhood was a self-appointed leader of the neighborhood watch. The neighborhood watch wanted nothing to do with. That's the suspicious behavior. Right. But Glenn Beck's website twists it. So well, you see, there was suspicious behavior. So obviously, we had to shoot the black guy. All right. Now, uh, he continues. In a second call, one of Zimmerman's neighbors says the guy's yelling help without identifying which person is yelling. Now, well, that conveniently leaves out the fact that all the eyewitnesses have already gone on television. Not all, all of them have come forward. Some have gone on television saying it was the teenager that was calling for help. In this account, on the blaze, we can't tell. Somebody's yelling, but I can't tell who it is. Golly gee, well, why didn't you ask the witnesses? Why didn't the cops ask the witnesses? They all say it was the teenager. Oh, I can't tell. Okay. You see how they're going out there? We aren't even close to the worst part of it yet. All right. Now, afterwards, he then again describes Zimmerman as a person who it might be, this story might be, quote, the work of an overzealous vigilante, though still probably not an illegal act. So at least they call him a vigilante there, but he's just overzealous. I mean, you know, that's all. He's just a little excited. And you know what? It's definitely not illegal. Now, this is the second time he's mentioning how it's not illegal, right? And uh, uh, he, then he mentions Bernie Getz, the guy who shot all the kids on the uh, subway. And he says, remember, Bernie Getz was acquitted. That he did nothing wrong. So that's his third reference to how Zimmerman did nothing wrong. All right, then uh, finally he also says, and this is a uh, very important part. Trayvon Martin, did you know that he was actually suspended from school? Oh, my God. Suspended he was suspended from, from school. You know what? He deserved that shot to the chest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was once suspended from school, and, uh, you know, I'm just lucky I got away without getting shot in the head. Uh, so he says, but it's for 10 days. Uh, and so then he asks this piercing question. But what exactly was he suspended for in the first place? No, this man is sick. He makes me sick to my stomach, like to the point where I want to throw up. Uh, I haven't gotten to the worst part. Oh my, I can't, I, okay. I'm physically getting sick, Jake. Okay. Like, uh, take race out of it, okay? Take all of that, you know, take the politics out of it, right? A 17-year-old died, okay? What if his child died? No, what? these guys, they don't, it, one, they, don't, they couldn't care less. Second of all, you're asking them to relate to an African-American. They're like, what do you mean if my child died? He's not African-American. Like, like they're, they're, you know. Would this guy be writing a blog about what Zimmerman did was not illegal? Would he be writing that exact same blog if his nephew or his own child died? 
Hell no, he wouldn't. But you're right. It's a black kid, right? That he has absolutely no relation to. So who cares? Black kid died. Zimmerman didn't do anything wrong. No, but so here comes the worst part. Here comes the smear. Not only did Zimmerman do nothing wrong, but Trayvon Martin obviously had it coming, right? Because then he lists for over two pages all the different things that you could theoretically possibly get a 10-day suspension for. Now, why is he going to do that? Because he to wants to say, him. look at all the things Trayvon Martin might have done. This is not the things he did. Might have done in a theoretical world to get a 10-day sentence. And then he lists a parade of, of crimes that are, okay, so in fact, let me give you some of them. Breaking and enter and burglary. Bullying through repeated harassment. These are the things Trayvon Martin might have done in this Glenn Beck website article. Possession of simulated weapons. Sexual harassment. Grand theft. Hate crimes. Aggravated assault. Armed robbery. Arson. Homicide. Kidnapping. Abduction. Sexual battery. Now, they're not saying he did that. They're bullying the old Fox News trick of... Look at all the things he might have done to get that 10-day suspension. So is he really not a dangerous guy? I don't know. Look at all the things that's possible. Look, there's some bad people in this world, man. And I didn't think they were going to make this political. Oh, but I was totally wrong. Because I thought, even if you make it political, my God, what a losing issue for you. Everybody thinks about their own kid. Every decent human being in the country thinks, what if it happened to my kid, right? But these people are not decent human beings. So they think, let's go smear the dead black kid to make sure we protect Zimmer. I hope you're happy. I mean, you're, I'm with Anna. You repulse me. Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin, he had a couple snacks on him. Had a crazy ass man with a Glock on him. He was on the phone with his girl talking to her. Five minutes later, now the team screaming for his life. Crazy ass man shot a teenager twice. Black shot, know we gotta stand up and fight because the feds and police know this shit ain't right. I hope they give his ass the chair, give his ass the penalty. He don't deserve to live, give his ass the death penalty. This white racist man, he lost his humanity. I hope the jury killed you, put you away first degree. Ha, and we gon' fight for our justice. We know why you shot cause he was black and you was racist. I know we gon' get justice real soon. It's proof that he was racist cause he call us black coons. Damn, now that's some shit. He even got to Obama, Mr. President. But obviously, this is a tragedy. I can only imagine what these parents are going through. And when I think about uh, this boy, um, I think about my own kids. And I think every parent in America should be able to understand uh, why it is absolutely imperative that we investigate every aspect of this and that everybody pulls together, federal, state, and local, uh, to figure out exactly how this tragedy happened. Uh, so uh, I'm glad that uh, not only is the Justice Department looking into it, I understand now that uh, the governor of the state of Florida has formed a task force to investigate what's taking place. Uh, I think all of us have to do some soul searching to figure out how does something like this happen. And that means that we examine uh, the laws and the context for what happened, uh, as well as the sp uh, specifics of the incident. Uh, but my main message is, is uh, to the parents of uh, Trayvon Martin. Um, you know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. And, um, you know, I think they are right to expect 
that all of us as Americans uh, are going to take this with the seriousness it deserves and that we're going to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. You can just kill somebody and get out the same night. same night. Every dog that you see that ball, that ball. don't mean that he bite. he bite. And everything that's black ain't even everything that's pure ain't white. This is just stunning. Now, first off, well, let's play this clip. Uh, first off, let me say this. I, as a general rule, have never felt comfortable opining on the guilt or innocence of someone who is involved in some type of legal trial. I don't like to litigate those from afar. I didn't follow the O.J. Simpson thing at all. I, you know, the uh, legal system is uh, fairly dysfunctional at times. I just think you need to be uh, sitting in a courtroom and you need to be a juror to make those decisions. And the other day I did say that... Uh, it sounded like to me that uh, this guy Zimmerman murdered Trayvon Martin. Um, and I don't know. We don't really know. And uh, this will be taken, uh, hopefully, it will be taken to court. Sure sounded like to me. But the, the bigger issues, we're going to talk about this with Cliff. The bigger issues, in my estimation, the ones that we can talk about are the policy of this uh, stand your ground thing. And the behavior of the police department. In both instances, I think they're they're I think it's a reprehensible law, and the uh, actions of the police department were beyond reprehensible. All right. With that said, you have to listen to this clip. Uh, Cliff and I will talk about this and and more uh, in just a few moments. But listen to this clip from Geraldo Rivera on Fox and Friends uh, just this morning. I guess. Listen to this. Let's right. talk about the uh, Trevon Martin case and what's going on in Florida. Well, right I now. have a different take, uh, Brian, on that. I, I believe that George Zimmerman, the overzealous neighborhood watch captain, should be investigated to the fullest extent of the law. And if he is criminally liable, he should be prosecuted. Now that, I think, is, is, is reasonable. That is the most reasonable thing that one could say at this point. There should be a real investigation. I, I, I suspect he's going to be found guilty of something. I don't know if it's murder or manslaughter or what it is. That's what I suspect, but we'll, we'll see as more facts come out. But then listen to this. But I am urging the parents of black and Latino youngsters particularly to not let their children go out wearing hoodies. I think the hoodie is as much responsible for Trayvon Martin's death as George Zimmerman was. Stop it for one second. The hoodie is as responsible for Trayvon Martin's death as much as George Zimmerman is? So let me get this right now. It's not guns that uh, kill people. It's not even people that kill people. It's hoodies. It's hoodies that kill people. Just back up just a little bit here, because you have to hear the response from the Fox and Friends people. Go ahead. 
Hartman was. What do you mean? When you, when you see a kid walking, Juliet, when you see a kid walking down the street, particularly a, a dark-skinned kid like my son Cruz, who I constantly yelled at when he was going out wearing a damn hoodie or those pants around his ankles, take that hood off. People look at you and they watch. What's the instant identification? What's the instant association? Uh -oh. It's those crime scene surveillance yeah. tapes. Every time you see someone sticking up a 7-Eleven, the kid's wearing a hoodie. Now, wait a second. We're not supposed to send kids out wearing hoodies? In the rain? Or at any time? You know what else we should not be doing? We should not be sending our kids out uh, as dark-skinned, like um, Geraldo's son. I mean... I send my uh, daughter out to school every day, and I'll, 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 I'll let her wear a hoodie if it's raining, but she's not going out as a black kid or a Hispanic kid because uh, you wear that hoodie when you're black or Hispanic. Man, you're just asking for trouble. You're asking to be shot. You're asking society to say, there goes another gangster. There goes somebody who's up to no good. Matt walked in today wearing a hoodie. And I'll tell you, it was this close, this close. I just immediately spun, and if I didn't have that one moment where I didn't happen to have a gun on me, there'd be nobody working the board today. This is unbelievable. The idea that somehow a hoodie is a license for someone to kill you is beyond belief. It's beyond belief. You don't want your kid going out dressed as wearing, you know, there are certain things I tell my daughter, you can't wear that. But it's not because I think she's going to be, sh she's inviting someone to shoot her. That's just beyond belief. Wow, Geraldo. Wow. You even had the, the lady from Fox and Friends go, what do you mean? Like, when you're, when you're presenting a theory to the Fox and Friends people, and they don't get what you're talking about, you know you got a problem. Unbelievable. Trayvon, please, for forgiveness. I didn't do nothing. This is senseless. But George Zimmerman was so vicious. He made sure the second shot hit him. No survivor, no witness. There's an article that, on Mother Jones that is currently kind of breaks uh, down some of this stuff just in case you, um, um, you, you're unaware of it. Uh, like, um, one example is like Florida also makes it easy to plead self-defense in a killing. Under then-Governor Jeb Bush, the state in 2005 passed a broad stand-your-ground law which allows residents to use deadly force against a threat without attempting to back down from the situation. More stringent self-defense laws, uh, laws state that gun owners have the duty to retreat uh, before resorting to killing. In championing the law, former NRA president and longtime Florida gun lobbyist Marion Hammer said, through time in this country, what I like to call 
bleeding heart criminal coddlers want you to give a criminal an, an, an even break so that when you're attacked, you're supposed to turn around and run rather than standing your ground and protecting yourself and your family. Again, the Sunshine State was a trendsetter. 17 states have since passed stand-your-ground laws, which, which critics call a license to kill or a shoot-first law. The law has been unpopular with law enforcement officers in Florida since it, take, uh, since it makes it much more difficult to charge shooters with a crime and has regularly confounded juries in murder cases. Many Orlando cops reportedly have given up investigating self-defense cases as a result referring them to overloaded state attorney's offices for actions. In 2010, by the Tampa Bay Times, found that justifiable homicides had tripled in the state since the law went into effect. Mm -hmm. You know, um, someone who obviously hates me um, sent me uh, a link to the story on Fox News. Um, I can't. And, you know, interesting enough, the article they sent me, the article part was, was balanced. You know, it was not, um, it, it made no mention in terms of, uh, it, it was balanced. It didn't, reading the actual story is not what outraged me. I think it was, you know, they reported it as just reporting it, right? What uh, ended up enraging me is because he sent me the link to the article, but where it jumped to in the section was the comment section. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know everybody says don't read the comments, but I, I occasionally read yeah. comments just to see, you know, see what it, so what's interesting is, you know, besides the, um, I, I, I was surprised, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised. There were a number of people who said they are pro Second Amendment, pro, you know, so all the stuff like that. They were like, no, he, what the hell was he doing? He needs to go, like, he needs to go, like, d- why isn't he a red? Like, there were people who were clear. Um, it says, I am a white male, dissident, and I'm conservative, and I don't like Obama, but this man needs to be a red. Like, there were people that were clear against this. And then there was somebody, I think there, there were two people who were just, you know, basically trolling the comments to just roll, you know, uh, rouse people up. Um, and it was interesting to see those self-identified white male Second Amendment pro, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. um, sub- doing the defense of why this man should be arrested. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this, this one guy is talking about, how, um, you know, well, if so many black men are in jail and arrested and criminals and things like that, why wouldn't he just stop and show the man his ID and, you know, sort of, you know, things like that. They were actually victim blaming. Right. So, you know, in this one of the guys who the self-identified Second Amendment, 45 year old white man was like, why do I have to stop? Why does anybody have to stop any, you know, and show ID? He's not a police officer. Mm-hmm. He's not like anybody. Why did he, he's like, for all he know, this man could have been a pedophile or, you know, or something like that. Why did he have to stop? No, no, no. Apparently, apparently if you're walking the streets and you're a young black male, then you should automatically understand that you are a problematic or your whole, your and whole that's group. what the guy, the guy saying, he was like, he was like, uh, basically how black mothers should teach their black children to become of this perception that all black men are violent and in gangs and sort of all of this stuff like that, that we should teach our children to go out of their way to prove that they are themselves not violent and not in a gang to make sure that they're not dead, make sure that they don't end up mm-hmm. dead. And that's he's like, this, he would have still been alive if he would have just stopped and showed ID the, and let him pat him the down. Saddest, the saddest part about that is that to an extent, black mothers have done this. Exactly. Yeah. To an extent, we have been taught, I know that I was taught, that my life was was not that important to cops. And that if a cop were to stop me, that I needed to stop 
do whatever he says, hand over any ID, just follow whatever rules he put forth, just follow him. Do not, do, don't give, don't give him crap. Don't back nothing. Just don't follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Just follow the rules so that I don't get killed. I was not told this for a random white dude in a car. So basically you're telling me that at this point what we need to do is instead of just having our, uh, our families uh, terrified that a cop might kill your child, you need to tell them, hey, if, if you live in, ran- these, these, in these certain states uh, where it's okay to, uh, to, uh, to pull your gun under these circumstances, you need to be afraid of just any dude walking down the street who might think that you're suspicious. Yep. I, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. I don't. Because on sure one hand, and this is why, this. because on one hand, you shouldn't be required to te- you shouldn't be required to do that. Right. Like they, you are an equal citizen in this country. I should not have to teach my son a different way to behave than his white counterparts. Yeah. But on the other hand, I want my son to live. Yeah, and I have to. Thanks for listening, everyone. I will resume playing voicemails in the next episode. I will also resume the conversation on privilege that I began in the previous episode. And boy, do we have some things to talk about there. So if you'd like to leave a message of any kind, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And that's going to be it for today. So you can support the show by becoming a member or donor. Stay tuned into the show by joining with us on Facebook or Twitter and get all the details of the show, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black lines black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be Shadow bases the floor Take you out